0: We want to be there and be problem-solving alongside the grantee because we're learning just as much.
1: Hey guys, I'm Carlos Miranda and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. I started IG in 2011 and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, corporates, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique access to both donors and fundraisers and want to help them better understand one another. And so we bring you What Donors Want, a fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into major gifts fundraising from the donor's perspective. In each episode, we'll interview a donor and get right down to it. What do they actually want from the fundraisers who cultivate them? This advice and more straight from the donor's mouth.
2: Welcome back to What Donors Want. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, and I'm a colleague of Carlos's from IG. I'm also the producer of What Donors Want, and I'm seriously excited for today's episode. We spoke with Jennifer Alcorn and Emily Inslee from the one and only Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which really needs no introduction. With an endowment of over 40 billion US dollars and an annual grant-making budget of 4 billion, it's literally the largest foundation in the world, funded primarily by the Gates family and Warren Buffett. I'm joined here now by Carlos, who's going to tell us a little more about today's guests.
1: Thanks for having me, Rachel. Feels good to be back after our Hewlett episode. So as Rachel said, we chatted with two members of the Gates team, Jennifer Alcorn, a senior program officer, and Emily Inslee, a program manager. Both Jen and Emily work at Gates Philanthropy Partners, which is Gates registered 501c3 nonprofit that offers donors the opportunity to give to a Gates program alongside the foundation. In these roles, they wear many hats, working directly with co-funding partners as well as grantees. At IG, we've also had the pleasure of working directly with them over the years, and in short, they are all kinds of brilliant.
2: Should we give them a call? Let's do it. Welcome, Jen and Emily, to What Donors Want. We're so thrilled to have you on the show. Yeah, no, thank
0: you for inviting us to be. Oh my gosh,
2: it's a pleasure. So we're going to start this off as we do with our other episodes by a fun get to know you speed round of questions, which is designed to be, you know, slightly silly, a bit cheeky as the Brits say, but also it's really to promote the idea that donors are people and that if you want to build fantastic relationships with a program officer or with a philanthropist that you have to get to know them in as a person and in a human way, which I think is especially resonant for a foundation like Gates, which is, can be quite intimidating to some fundraisers so please just say the first thing that comes to your mind they are quite silly and we could just get going are you ready we are okay question number one for jen if you could have any superpower what would it be i would
0: be able to read people's
2: minds
1: Mm. that's dangerous that would
2: terrify me That's (laughs) i know that's why i want that superpower (laughs)
1: all right the next question is for emily what hogwarts house would you be in
0: Oh, Gryffindor.
1: Obviously. I
0: love them. <laughs> um, see, I would totally be Ravenclaw. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 yeah, that's, Ravenclaw. that's right. Yeah.
1: You're, you're correct.
0: Jen. <laughs> Jen, what was the last show that you binged? Oh, gosh. I really want to have a very cool answer to this, but I don't because about two weeks ago, I had a sick child for six days and all we did was binge watch kids shows so, I have now seen every episode of Lego Ninjago and Lego mates. Carlos's eyes just lit up when yeah. you said Lego. Yeah. It, <laughs> so, it's, it's,
1: good. it's good. It's good. We're all good. Emily, which Spice Girl would you be? Oh,
2: man. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I would probably be baby spice.
1: Correct. <laughs>
3: yeah. Jen, what was the last book that you read? It was Anne Hatchett's Commonwealth.
1: Emily, if the world was going to end tomorrow, yeah. what would your last meal be?
3: It would be my Grandma Hansen's chicken pie with rice pilaf. Mm. Nice. Um, Jen, coffee or tea? Coffee.
1: coffee. Another correct answer. <laughs> Emily, dogs or cats?
3: Dogs. I hope that you and I agree because I think cats
1: are evil <laughs> and <laughs> so scary. I, I agree, I agree on all fronts.
2: <laughs> okay, <laughs> Jen, our
0: relationship can move forward. Uh,
2: for Jen, the stones or the Beatles? The Beatles.
1: And last but not least, the truly the question for the ages, yeah. Emily, Brittany or Christina?
0: <gasps> oh, God, that's hard.
3: I would go with Christina because she has the, the voice. <gasps> that you just that
1: is the correct answer. I mean that's the correct adult (laughs) answer but okay let's go with that.
2: Thank you for indulging us in that. It's always so fun to hear people's answers. Part two of the conversation is now a deep dive into your work at the Gates Foundation. So both what you look for in, in a pitch, in a grant proposal, how you identify partners, what you look for in a grantee relationship, all that kind of stuff. So the first question we have for you So this is for both of you. Jen, as a senior program officer, and Emily, as a program manager, can you give us an overview of your primary responsibilities in these roles?
0: Sure. Well, I'll start. This is Jen. So my work at the foundation really focuses on um, identifying new or kind of evolving models that will really help individual donors give well and give better. And I get to do this in lots of different ways, um, but it gets to be very creative and um, really fun. We get to work with a lot of people with a lot of really great ideas.
3: Yeah, and then Emily, and part of my role as program manager on the team is is focused on ensuring our team has, you know, really healthy business and operation systems in place so that our grant makers can you know, meet our grant making budget each year. Um, along issues that support our goals, our short and long-term goals. And part of my role is really um, supporting cross-cutting initiatives that have to do with either innovative new ways of giving or new programs that our team is starting
2: to pursue. Fantastic, thank you.
1: Great. so. Like most established foundations, Gates most often actively solicits funding applications rather than having some kind of open portal. Once you guys have decided on a specific field or area to fund in, what's the process that you as a foundation go through um, for picking organizations or projects within that?
0: So uh, that's a really great question. And I think from the perspective of the philanthropic partnerships team at the Gates Foundation, I think the most important thing that we've learned over time is that, you know, a grantee donor relationship is really a partnership. And it's... It should be an equal relationship. We often find that fundraisers or um, grantees look at us and think dollar signs. Um, But what we want people to look at us and think is partner and somebody who's going to not only provide funding, but provide thinking and strategy. I think the key point is we learn from each other. And
3: right. I think sometimes that can be a surprising insight for our grantees is that we actively, yeah. you know, once we've established that we have a shared goal and that and that they might support one of our goals, we learn from each other. It's really a two-way relationship.
0: We want... To be there and be problem solving alongside the grantee because we're learning just as much.
2: That's really interesting to hear you say that about the partnership approach and wanting feedback and wanting to learn from your grantees and, and have them be the expert in that space. I think that's a really valuable insight for fundraisers. And in, in terms of that process, is there anything that a fundraiser can do to stand out in that context? And are there things that fundraisers do and don't do that, that really make a difference to that relationship building process for you? It's
0: a great question. So I think the best fundraisers always have substance. Mm-hmm. And so whether they have the expertise themselves or they're bringing the experts along yeah. with them, it really helps yeah. to have that substance at the at the beginning of a relationship so that we can truly understand one another and where each other are going. I would also say um, that we always appreciate when people are really upfront about what they're looking for. Absolutely. Um, a direct conversation about, hey, you know, we're really interested in funding for X, Y, and Z allows us to start off on, on yeah. the right foot. And really have that direct honest and open relationship, which is so critical um for any kind of, for any partnership
2: that's a really really great insight now moving forward into that application process, can you give us a glimpse into your typical decision making process so what happens next once the proposal has been submitted and and solicited? And and who are the internal stakeholders within Gates and within your team that need to be brought in? And and what does that process look like? Sure,
3: I can take this one. This is Emily. Often we will never ask for a proposal unless we don't intend to provide some funding for the project. So we'll work very closely with the grantee to get this proposal in place and, and to a place where we're all happy with the outcomes. To do that, we have a series of stakeholders that that we um, solicit input from internally, including our director, of course. Sometimes the project will go up to our president level depending on yeah. what it is. But generally what happens is we have a series of internal due diligence steps that are taken for every grant. Sometimes our legal experts will help us with a review. Sometimes our grant management partners will help us get a particular um clause in the grant agreement that will help the project successfully run through the different milestones we establish. But generally we get input and questions answered throughout that proposal process to avoid big surprises at the end for either party. On,
1: kind of keeping on the same theme, what is the most common mistake that fundraisers or organizations make with you guys at Gates?
0: Don't push. <laughs> Don't push too hard. Honestly, make it about a very mutually beneficial conversation and don't push on something that you really want to do that may not fit with the foundation or its strategy. And I would say that's the the biggest mistake that fundraisers or um, potential partners have made in the past is not taking the time to understand the work that, that our team is doing and then um, trying to align what it is that they're working on with that, and also admitting that what they're doing may not fit with where the foundation is. And I think the best fundraisers will often say, well, who else is working on this? And do you think that you can make an introduction for me? So again, it's really having that open direct conversation and treating this as as a partnership.
2: Yeah. That's really interesting to hear you say, because we've heard that reflected and echoed in in the other podcast guests that we've had. So I want to go back. Well, we love what you said about the best fundraisers have substance. I think it's a really, um, a a great quote. And I think I want to go back to that just for a second and, and ask what would be your dream fundraiser as in what would be the qualities that would make them really excellent? And have you found this fundraiser in real life or maybe iterations of them, or, you know, it, it might not actually be based on your experience, but based on what would be the ideal
0: person for you to interact with. So yes, I have actually found my dream fundraiser. Um, and I don't know if I should name her on here or not, but i think the qualities that she has are that ability to build a relationship both on a professional level and on a personal level without it feeling feeling strange in any way mm-hmm. but she's passionate about her organization and the work that they do she has expertise in that work and in the issue mm-hmm. and she's a strong advocate not only for the organization but for the field as well. And so all of those things combined give her such validation when she sits with our team or even other teams in our foundation. And it makes it very easy for us to introduce her to other funders because we know that she has substance and that she will also tread very carefully with any relationship because she understands the importance of relationships. And to me, that's like the epitome of a good fundraiser has all of those elements.
3: And especially that quality that you said, Jen, about not only you know letting her passion for her organization th- shine through, but putting it in the context of how it's helping the sector. I think that's really unique. And it yeah. really shines when we have partners or grantees who, or fundraisers who
2: exhibit that quality. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's so great. And and do you, so you spoke about the one or this one specific example of of the dream fundraiser. Have you found that you've encountered that multiple times or is that kind of a unicorn in in your relationships? Do you feel that those are qualities that other fundraisers have or are continuing to develop or was it, is it a bit trickier than that?
0: It's a That's a really great question. And I think that, gosh, I don't know if this is going to sound awful or not, but I'll say it. I think that we've learned to weed out relationships with fundraisers or organizations that don't do that because it takes so much more work and energy. And we'd rather work with um, people who are going to have that direct open relationship And so I would say that there's probably a handful of partners, active partners that we have that truly exhibit those qualities and that it's been harder um, when we get good ideas from, from organizations that don't have that to really kind of get to the nut of what a project could be.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Excellent. Kind of on that same spirit, have there ever been an instance when an organization has really kind of knocked it out of the park um, so much that you've decided to kind of make an unusual grant or, or kind of made an unusual request happen? Just because a relationship has been cultivated and, and, and um, trust has been built up so much over you know over time that's, that someone's come to you with something that's outside of your remit or outside of the foundation's remit, yet... You feel like because you've supported them, because you trusted them, um, you're you're willing to kind of make an unusual um, an unusual request happen.
0: So I feel like every listener right now is holding their breath, hoping that we're about to say yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and
0: probably turn yeah. it over to Emily to take the air out of their dreams. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs>
3: Crushing. Oh, well, yeah. Just the honest truth is that a a, a project, a grantee their idea has to be on our strategy. Um we really don't shift our direction for one funder or partner or organization no matter how much we love them and, and believe in their vision. What we can do is, you know, like Jen said earlier, refer them to our our network and open doors for them where we where we think it's appropriate and that's something we're happy to do if we believe in their vision but it's not quite on strategy with what we do though i can say that we have had experience building on a project in a newer, different way that we didn't expect up front because of how the partner performed that's very cool
2: Wow. I think that's, thank you for being so honest with your answer. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I, no, Sorry, I, everybody.
2: <laughs> no, no, I think that's so valuable. And I don't think you took you know the error out at all. I think that's so fantastic that you're willing to make those introductions and provide other kinds of support, like you know, opening doors when it's, when it's a really fantastic cause.
1: But I also think that a lot of fundraisers are very limited, like we all are, but fundraisers in particular are very limited in their time. And I think sometimes it's very easy. There's an existing relationship to say, oh, well, we'll just ask this funder that supports us or has supported us for many years for this yeah. particular thing, when you kind of know that it's not really on strategy. So I think sometimes it's about saving fundraisers time, energy and and money in terms of how, how they're going around asking.
0: Yeah, well, it does, it saves us time too, because we don't want to lead anybody, lead anybody on. It's not fair. And again, it's about the relationship and having a strong relationship means being able to be honest with one another.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So moving forward again into uh, the different kinds of support that you do provide when it is a good strategic fit. Of course, in fundraising and for organizations, the holy grail is that unrestricted, flexible support, which many, you know, it, it takes a lot of relationship building usually and sometimes even a get to know you grant for a foundation to make a commitment like that. At Gates, what would an organization and therefore a fundraiser representing them need to demonstrate in order to secure an unrestricted grant?
0: Wow. So I would say on the philanthropic partnerships team, we have not really given a a lot of unrestricted grants. I can say other parts of the foundation often do. And I from personal experience, when I was a grantee to the foundation, I was really lucky to be part of an organization that did get one of the larger um, advocacy unrestricted grants. But it really took the organization that I worked for many, many years of proving itself and really, um, again, aligning itself with the foundation's strategy and really kind of following through on major initiatives enough enough to a point where the foundation felt that unrestricted grant money would allow that organization to do that even more, even better, and benefit the entire sector, I would say for the philanthropic partnerships team, it's rare. Um, we have we have done it maybe one or two times, okay. And it's generally in in that case, it was organization that was so closely aligned with what we were doing, and we had worked with them for over a decade that we knew that that investment was going to continue to help them move forward and be innovative without needing our thought partnership on a regular basis. Again, it's rare for us, but we do, we do it um, in certain circumstances. That's
2: really interesting to hear. And I think that's a really valuable lesson for fundraisers in terms of it's possible if... if um know, if you keep the faith over many years. So once a grant has been committed, when you move into the stewardship phase of the donor journey, what are the most common mistakes that you see organizations making that might turn you off from making an additional grant for further years?
3: I can take that one. Um, One of the major things is poor communication, Um, poor leadership from the staff to the board, all levels. It it really shines through when when there's poor leadership behind um, the partner. Um, an inability to show impact in their progress reports, um, that's something that we have, luckily we have resources to help the grantee improve over time, but if there is not a good communication stream between us and the, and the partner, um, that really turns us away from providing future support. And, and along that communication line, it's it's not sharing the real challenges with us and not admitting when something just isn't working. It's really hard to do when you're a partner. We understand that. Yeah. And so we absolutely value it when that conversation is brought to us.
2: Yeah, I think that's fantastic to hear that you're very open to to taking the, a risk in that way or uh, to discussing, you know, quote unquote, failure or a mistake or, or a challenge rather with a grantee because it is something that many organizations have a lot of anxiety about. Can you think of... um of any examples or of of when communication has been really poor with a grantee? Yeah, so not too long ago we had
0: a grantee who um its board let its executive director go and this was somebody that we knew really well and worked with with for many years and we did not get advance notice before um a note went out to the entire community about the executive director leaving and we are one of we're one of many funders, but we're one of the bigger funders, and that was really disappointing um, because we had that relationship and we relied on on that person to really drive the strategy and the project forward. Um, we were pretty disappointed in the board and not and not reaching out and at least giving us advance notice and helping us understand the circumstances around that. So I would say that's that's one um, situation where communication really would have um, just fostered a deeper relationship versus us um, being concerned about the leadership of, of the organization. And
2: would it have been as simple as them saying you know, coming to you in advance of, of announcing it publicly in that way and and giving you the heads up and saying, this is, we're in a tricky situation. We wanted to give you the heads up. We value your partnership. So we're letting you know in advance. Would it have been that simple? It would have been that simple.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. It would have been as simple as just picking up the phone and saying, we had to make a really hard decision. Right. We wanted to let you know before this email went out because we didn't want you to feel taken aback or worried about how we're going to continue to make progress? Yeah. Wow.
2: That's a shame that it it's it's so simple and that they weren't able to do that. But it's really helpful. So thank you for sharing that.
1: So yeah. last question, um, and this is really for um, I'd love an answer from each of you. Um, what is the one key thing you want our listeners to take away from this conversation?
0: Just one thing. Wow. Well, I mean, one. why it to one? I know we. Uh, I mean, Carlos, you know we like everything in three. Okay, well, then, then do,
1: do three. <laughs> People might not remember all three of them, but all right, let's do three. <laughs>
0: no, so I think for me, this is Jen, I think um, have substance, um, have the expertise in what you're talking to us about, and be honest and direct. So maybe that's four, but I consider honest and direct as one. That's one. That falls in one bucket. Yeah, and for me, I'd say
3: just, I love the have substance thing. And to compliment that, I'd say be rigorous, be vigilant in your convictions and your passions. We're really at this moment of unparalleled opportunity right now. We have these new tools, we have information, data at our fingertips and ready to be of service at lightning speed. And so what really shines through is that
2: personal connection that you can make with other people grounded in your passions and your strengths. That's fantastic. I have a quick follow-up question on that just to to interrogate it a little bit. I mean, we love the what you said about fundraisers needing to have substance. I'm wondering, can you elaborate on that a little bit in terms of what exactly you mean by substance? Is that in terms of meeting a really genuine person who feels really connected to the cause, who's really grounded in their knowledge of it? Is that something different to you, what exactly do you mean by substance?
0: Yeah, so I think what we mean by substance is really understand what it is that you're asking us to fund. And you you can represent an organization really well, but not be able to go deep on what you're asking. And for us to have a substantive conversation, we want to be talking with the people who really understand the project. And what it is that they're asking. And they have that long-term vision of, all right, we know where we want to start today. We have a pretty good idea of where we want to be in 10 years. And having that person at the table allows us to have a really strong idea about where the project will go and who we're going to be working with. And so often funding You are funding an organization, but you're you're also funding the people that are going to be building out the project. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. There's been so many nuggets and
2: quotes and and things that we've written down from this conversation. It's been seriously helpful. And and we're really grateful for the time and and advice and and insight that you've given us. It's really, really wonderful.
1: Yes. Thank you very much. I know how busy both of you are, and we really appreciate it. And I know that all of our listeners, uh, you know, I think that whenever we've asked around what, what Particularly, what institutional donor would you like us to interview? Uh, the Gates Foundation, has always, always come like you know in the in the top in the top two, if not the yes. top one, always. So, thank you very much for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Well,
0: we're happy that we could um, break through some of the mystery of the Gates Foundation <laughs> for you right? Now,
1: exactly. Now we all know which Spice Girls you are, so it's fine. There's no no more mystery. <laughs> no, no no
0: no! You yeah. know what Emily is. <laughs> you did not ask Jen
2: thanks for listening to another episode of what donors want and a huge thank you to jen and emily for their generous time and advice
1: we also want to send a shout out to the fundraisers who sent us questions for gates if you have any other questions you'd like to ask us uh, for a future episode or if you want to find more about ig We'd love to hear from you.
2: You can check us out online at impactandgrowth.com. Say hello to us on Twitter. Our handle is at IG underscore advisors. Or you can join us for one of our events in London. We're constantly getting fundraisers together to talk shop, and we'd be very happy to add you to our invite list.
1: Also, stay tuned for a very exciting episode coming up next. It's going to be live taped, and Rachel is already planning to get branded IG coffee mugs.
2: Oh, definitely. Gotta do it right. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.